Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join with me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you so much for this morning to where we have the privilege to open up your word and read it. Through the indwelling of your spirit, we have the ability to understand it. And I pray, Lord, that through your sanctifying power, we will apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue our study of Romans 14... Let me remind you that Paul is instructing Christians on how they should treat one another. And remember that the church at Rome at this particular time is made up of both Jew and Gentile. And just like any other group, when you get people together, people come together with their own identity, their own background, their own hurdles in trying to live out their faith. It's no different than today. Somebody called me this week and said, what denomination are you? And I said, well, we started out Baptist, but at this particular point, we have people from all different backgrounds. I preach a biblical truth, but it's interesting to see how God has built his church here. But all of us come from different backgrounds. Not only from a generational standpoint, but from an educational standpoint, from a socioeconomic group standpoint. We're we're different and we're saved at different points in time. And, And so this is what Paul is dealing with. And the first potential obstacle that he's addressing is the eating of meat that was previously given for idol worship. Some groups that said, hey, I'm free in Christ. I don't have any problem with that. Others that came out of a pagan background would say, oh no, I don't want any part of that. That's part of my past life. As I preached last week, the other group from a Jewish background dealt with, well, do I keep the Sabbath? Or do I worship on the Lord's day? What day? And so Paul's addressing both of these groups. And as Paul is addressing both of these groups, he reminds his readers of a very important point, which will be our focal passage this morning in verses 7 through 9. Romans 14, 7 through 9, if you'll turn with me there in your Bible. It starts off by reading, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. And as you look at the end of verse 8, let me point something out to you. It says, Lord apostrophe S. Lord apostrophe S. Now, if you remember back in English class, 
Anytime that you have apostrophe S, it points to ownership, doesn't it? It says we are the Lord's. In other words, we are God's possession. And what I want to do here for a brief moment of time is look at this doctrine of redemption in the context of this particular verse. And you would first start off saying, why are we the Lord's? Why are we God's possession? One could say, well, we're all God's creatures, and that is true. We are all God's creatures, but this is something special. Because remember, he's writing the Church of Rome. He's writing to believers. He's writing to believers. He's not writing to the whole city of Rome. He's writing to the Church of Rome. And so this is something that's unique with Christians. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in the 18th verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 18. Paul writes the church at Corinth and he says this. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price Therefore, glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which are God's. Now, let's look at the end of verse 19. You are not your own. Look at the end of 20. It says, which are God's? Well, what is God? Your body and your spirit. Your body and your spirit. That pretty much sums up all of us, doesn't it? I mean, we, don't, we have body and spirit. That's it. And he said, you are not your own. If you're a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ here this morning, if you're listening in through sermon audio, your body, your spirit is not your own. God owns it. He owns it. Another verse that emphasizes this, which will look at again later on, is in the first chapter of Ephesians, starting in verse 13. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also you have believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of what? Of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, If you look at 13 and 14, it says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. In other words, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard the word of truth, and you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you became the purchased possession, the purchased possession of God. Now this leads to the next question. Purchased from what? Christ said in John eight thirty four, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. Romans six twenty says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free 
in regard of righteousness. Galatians 4, starting in verse 1, Paul wrote, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not suffer at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage. We were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Before we came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, or if you're listening this morning and you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in spiritual bondage. You're a slave of sin. And we were redeemed. We were purchased. We were purchased. What were we purchased with? Peter deals with this in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 17. It says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were redeemed, redeemed purchase, knowing that you were, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ is a lamb without blemish and without spot. We were redeemed from the bondage of sin. We were redeemed from the bondage of sin with the precious blood of of Jesus Christ. We were purchased. There was a transaction. And in fact, in Acts 20, 28, Luke wrote, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. That's our commonality here as believers. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, every one of us has the same transaction in our life. It is we were purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. It may have been in a different year. It may have been in a different setting. We may have been a child. We may have been a teenager. We may have been an adult. But there's a commonality with all of us and that we were purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. It is our commonality. And in fact, in Revelation, we get a glimpse of what the new song we will sing in Revelation 5, 9. It says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain, referring to Christ, and have redeemed us to God, redeemed us, purchased us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We were purchased. We were purchased with his blood. Why blood? Why blood? Why not something else? Well, Hebrews 9.22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without 
shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness. In fact, earlier in Hebrews, it relates to the idea that the first covenant was established with the sprinkling of blood. The second covenant is established, the new covenant is established with the shedding of blood. That's why we were redeemed with blood, because without blood, there's no forgiveness. Without an acceptable sacrifice, and through the unique and precious blood of Jesus Christ, who knew no sin on this earth, we've been purchased. It's so very important that we understand this. And it's also very important that we understand why. Why? Why were we purchased? Why were we redeemed? Let's go back to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In other words, God had an eternal plan, and that eternal plan had your name in it. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And why was it called the Lamb's Book of Life? Because Christ would purchase you with the shedding of His blood. It's unique. Our purpose is unique. Our purchase is unique. And it's unique because we've been saved to the praise of His glory. We are to glorify. We are to glorify God in our action. Not my glory. Not my leisure. Not my possessions. I am to live and you are to live for the glory of God because that is what we were saved for. Before time began, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life so that then upon your living and upon you accepting the Lord Jesus Christ, you would then live your life to glorify to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, Paul tells the church at Corinth, he says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give all to the glory of God. That should be our focus, not just on Sunday, That should be our focus every day of the week, every hour of the day, every minute of the day. We are to live in such a way that we glorify God. I have, for the last year, have had, as some of you know, a contractor problem. And I finally got, after a year and four months, 
am at the end of my rope. My dad used to say that I was like a simmering pot. (laughs) And he said, you simmer and simmer and then you boil over. And I got to that point. And I've been gracious and I've been patient, I think. But just as I was getting on the phone to say, I'm at my limit, here's your deadline. It reminded me that whatever I do and however I speak and however I act, am I going to glorify God? Doesn't mean that I've got to be a pushover or a welcome man. It doesn't mean that I have to ignore the situation, but it does mean that I have to, in my actions, I have to make sure that I can walk away from that situation and say, yes, I glorified God. At least I didn't embarrass him. And that's what we have to do in in all of our life as we interact with people. There are times in our life that we have to stop and we have to say, am I in a good spot here? Because I've been purchased. I've been purchased. My life is not my own. So, with that being said, let's go back to our focal passage. And read that in the context of redemption. Romans fourteen seven: For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Christ died and rose again to purchase us. We are his possession. One of my pet peeves is when people start talking about their time. Their time. I raised my kids. Now it's my time. I have worked all my life and now it's my time. No, it's not. It's God's time. It's not my time. It's not your time. It's God's time. And that's what it says in this focal passage. We are the Lord's. We were bought with a price. And unfortunately, people have forgotten this. And in fact, one could make the argument that in Christianity today, unfortunately, there's a large number of believers that give God the crumbs. They give God the crumbs, the leftover. If I don't have anything to do, well, you know, I'll go to church. I'll give God what I have left over financially. I'll give God what I have left over with my time. God's getting the crumbs. He's not, he's not on the top of the list. Now, if you remember my Easter sermon, I preached on this idea that Lord means master. Lord means master. Does the master get the crumbs? No. Masters don't get the crumbs. They get the attention. 
Turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. And I know that if we put this in a modern context, it's going to sound extremely familiar. James 4, starting in the 13th verse. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. It is sin. And what James is pointing out here is, is that the Lord should be in control. And in fact, we should petition the Lord. We should petition the Lord, am I living in your will? Am I living in your will? Am I worshiping you? Am I doing the things that I need to do to reflect my life in Christ? That should be at the top. That should be at the top. Because after all, we are the Lord's. And I would venture to say that one reason why the church, and I'm talking about the general church in America today, we are having an attendance problem. We're having a generational problem in the church today. It is quite serious. And it's, you talk to friends, you talk to family who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are consistent, and they're saying, we're having an attendance problem. And COVID just made it worse. If as many people said that they were streaming services, if they were actually streaming services, the internet would break down. You have people say, oh, I can stream it from home. I don't have to participate. Well, that's not scriptural. The Bible says that we are to come together. Corporate worship is God's plan. Now, if that is God's plan, and I don't own my life, and I've been purchased by God, I am going to participate in corporate worship. Because I've been purchased, you've been purchased. His church is His church. And our life is His life. And we need to look at our life and say, what did God call me to do? And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who say, well, I'll occasionally go to church. I'll occasionally go to church. I'll occasionally read my Bible. I'll occasionally pray. I'll occasionally participate. God is getting the crumbs. He's getting the crumbs. And it's unfortunate. And that's why churches are empty. Because people think that they are in control. You're not in control. 
I remember one day someone telling me, not in the church, but they said, well, I'd love to feel God move in my life. I just don't feel like God is, God is working in my life. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. How often do you go to church? Well, not very often. You read the Bible? No, not much. Should we be surprised? If you want to feel God in your life, if you want to experience God in your life in a major and mighty way, it means that you have to recognize that you are purchased. You are purchased with the blood of Jesus. And in that purchasing, he has set you aside for his glory. And you have to ask yourself in your life, am I living for the glory of God or am I living for myself? Am I living for the glory of God or am I living for myself? What's driving the agenda? And if we would sit and we'd evaluate our life and we'd look at our time spent and where we spend our time, where we spend our money, where we spend our entertainment, and we sit there and we say, is God a part of this? Is he a part of this? Then all of a sudden it starts getting a little convicting, doesn't it? You know, used to, you had men in church... You know who I'm talking about. And growing up, there were men in your church that were convicted that they were to work within their church to accomplish the glory of God. I'll give you an example. I grew up in a church that had a huge bus ministry. Had all of these broken down school buses. And Saturday... Saturday morning, this fellow was there making sure that all of those broken down school buses would go out and pick up kids to bring them to church. So they they would be in church. And it's easy to say that stuff doesn't work anymore. Well, you don't know till you try it. But I know in our particular case, at that particular time, this church was old We'd have grown men stand up in the church and say, I was saved in this church through this bus ministry because this man on Saturday would come and would get the buses working. In fact, one of the people in his team that helped him get the buses working every single Saturday was an adult who was saved in the bus ministry. And that became his calling just as well. It'd be nice to say, well, gee, I'd like to see that. But that involves recognizing that our life isn't our own. It's Christ. And we were purchased. And we were purchased for His glory. And we were each given spiritual gifts to exercise for His glory. And when we look at our life through that lens, that My life is not my own. All of a sudden, life starts becoming sweet because you start living your life in a way in which God wanted you to live it. Not for self, but for God. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that 
we have been purchased, that we've been redeemed. And through that redemption, we've been given the indwelling spirit and you're molding us and shaping us. And I just pray, Lord, that every single day, just like Paul, we would remind ourselves that we have to die daily. That we have to give our life to you daily. And that we have to fight the things of the world daily. I pray, Lord, that we'd commit our life to you because we've received something so precious, the blood of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash Mill Creek Church. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.